0: Welcome to the Plymouth Meeting Church Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We hope the following message touches your hearts and minds. Hey there, podcast listeners. Welcome to the Plymouth Meeting Church Podcast. Thank you so much for checking out our messages here. Hey, we have a special sermon for you from special guest preacher Jeff Byerly. Listen and be blessed. Hi, my name is Jeff Barley, and I will be speaking with you this morning as Pastor Cam and Jess head off on vacation. I regard it a privilege to stand in for your pastor this morning. He's a bright and very capable pastor, and uh, Jess is also a positive people connector. And together, they demonstrate the kind of ministry that uh, that can faithfully lead your church through times like these. I, I got to know Cam and Jess as they came through the pastoral assessment process, and, and have recognized their readiness for advancement and in working with uh, some of our applicants in the MDC. And Cam is that first connection for for new pastors seeking out pastoral uh, credentials. It's a crucial role, and I'm extremely proud of his work at the EC Church. And we see Cam as someone for new applicants to exemplify their lives after in their early spiritual formation. So I appreciate your church allowing him to do that work for us. Now, today, I'm going to speak to you about a gospel-centered, gospel-shaped church. And I know that you've been working more closely through the book of Acts, but I want to take a pause from that study, and I want you to allow me to weave a few stories together, and provide a short demonstration about the gospel that I think will provide some good supplemental guidance for your study in the book of Acts. I want to begin this morning by focusing on how we make sense of our world and the reality through our power of perception. On the screen is a a picture of a sunrise taken this summer from the deck of our condo in the Outer Banks. It's, It's one of my favorite things to do each morning. My my wife, my one daughter, Aaron, and I rise early, about quarter to six, to, to watch this spectacular event uh, a few times throughout our vacation. Now, my other daughter, she prefers to enjoy the sunsets, and I think you might understand what that means. But why is it that I get up early to watch the sun rise? Well, it's because it helps me to place my life at that moment within the frame of the majestic power of God's creation and then to more fully consider the beauty of God's care and provision for this whole planet full of people. And when I consider the power of our minds to perceive our realities, I'm reminded of a story that I read in a book some time ago. In his book, Justification, N.T. Wright uses a, a powerful illustration that frames the power of perception, and he uses this this, this illustration of the sunrise, he says, imagine a friend comes to stay who, through some accident of education, had never been told that the earth goes around the sun. And so as part of your conversation that evening, you take it upon yourself to explain how the planetary system works. Uh, yes, from where we stand, it does look like we are planted on a very firm foundation called the earth and that for however our perspective works um, from this it, it, the effect of our perspective is that it looks like the sun goes around the earth and all that we know from astronomy though however confirms that the earth on which we live and all the planets do revolve around the sun and so you get out some books your charts and diagrams and even rearrange things on your coffee table to make your point, and your friend is amazed. He's curious. He's fascinated. He's even puzzled by your description, and eventually he smiles. And you head off for bed. But very early in the morning, you hear a tap at your bedroom door. He's up and dressed, and he invites you on a morning journey. And so you get up to do this early walk with him. You you go out on the countryside. You come to a high precipice that overlooks the ocean, and You look at the skies, it begins to lighten, and he returns to the subject of that previous night. And he says something like, so many wise people of old have spoken of the earth as the solid fixed point on which we stand. One of the Psalms talks about how the sun races around and around to come up the next day um, as a strong giant running a race. And so this modern science and what you're talking about, these fancy theories, they're just probably fads. Let's stick with the tried and true tested wisdom of the ages. And so as he begins to, to finish up that, all of a sudden, out of the sea, there emerges the huge, dazzling, shining ball. And you stand in silence, watching its majestic rise, filling the countryside with golden light. And he turns and says, now see, we have the evidence right before our eyes. The earth doesn't go around the sun. The sun indeed goes around the earth. Aren't you happy that we have this little talk? Now, I relate this story not to dissuade you from some firmly held reality, but to help us realize that there is power in how our perceptions about the world actually work, and that some things may appear to be one way, when in actuality, we may have been innocently misperceiving something better. Now, when we look at the screen and compare these two pictures, they can both be true. Yet, without further exploration or consideration, without the help of Other resources, we might make a faulty assumption about the one without the other. The power of perception is important as we consider our understandings of the church, about the gospel, about our posture and the way that these perceptions form our perspectives and shape our connected Christian lives. So I want to talk to you about specifically the gospel, and why the church matters. As we consider the scriptures this morning, I want to first explore this passage in Ephesians regarding why the church matters. It's in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. And it just says this, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him, in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Now that's quite a mouthful, isn't it? It's a marvelous passage describing a few important realities. You may not have perceived it this morning, but Paul says that God has raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms. Now, it sounds like Paul is giving us, the church, a bird's eye view, that Jesus has given us a, the bird's eye view. And even more importantly, it sounds like from this perspective, we are able to experience God's reality and be a pointer toward God and his message of hope for humanity. Now, to illustrate this, in the summer of 2008, my family took a trip to visit various sites throughout Europe. We first traveled to Rome, Italy, and visited the Sistine Chapel, the Spanish Steps, the Colosseum, All walked among the ruins, and from Rome we went on to Venice, and we, we walked the narrow streets and ended up in St. Mark's Square. We took one of those Gondola rides, and uh, we traveled by water taxi to Murano and watched some glass blowing. We, we traveled to Luzerne, to a charming little Swiss city, beautiful flowing waters. And um, and then from there, we went on to a very large European city filled with plenty to do and see with pleasing museums, delightful attractions, and good food to eat. Perhaps you've guessed this final destination, either by description of my journey or by knowing a little about European geography. Why am I telling you about my trip to Europe? Because of the structure pictured here. As you surveyed That structure, you probably did not need for me to tell you which city I was in. The Eiffel Tower immediately reveals the identity of the city. And you know the city, even though I haven't even mentioned its name yet. When you saw the Eiffel Tower, you knew I was talking about Paris. And I want to use this backdrop to remind us of the important role owned by the church. That of pointing to something bigger than herself, something transcendent. What we do as the church needs to point toward and represent God. And so, wherever God's Spirit resides, there's life. And a community of transformed people can make a distinct difference. The church becomes the way people see God's Spirit in the world. And we do that we will understand what it means to become a signpost for those in our neighborhoods. will represent something much greater than the collective size of our gatherings, the energetic musical performances we offer on stages and platforms or outdoors, or even the messages that we promote online or in person. You see, God has raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms, in Christ Jesus. In order that the coming in the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Now consider the Eiffel Tower again. If that structure can point us toward everything in every way, that is France, then the church of Jesus Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, can steer people to see everything about Jesus Christ in every way. Eventually, Paul moved his readers to contemplate another structure. That was the intersection of heaven and earth, the temple. He says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, was believed to be, in some sense, that place where heaven and earth intersected. And I want you to think about that image. If we are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms, and we are the temple of God, where heaven and earth intersect, and we are bringing what God does up there, down here. Now, I get confused when I look around and see the American church today. Too often the church looks like something other than this picture. No wonder people in our neighborhoods cannot see God's glory, the intersection of God's kingdom in our world, because we have become representatives oftentimes of a divided world. We become part of the problem rather than the solution. So here's the challenge. For many, the church is a place to go rather than a place to belong or even a place to serve. Church needs to move beyond the idea of this one-hour event. If we are being the church, then we should look like Jesus and carry his good news. We should point to something greater than ourselves, just as this picture points to something greater than itself. And so if we are a gospel-centered, gospel-shaped church, then we need to get a clearer perception about what the gospel truly looks like. And I'd like to do that now for you with an illustration called The Gospel According to Chairs. And in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and he created man in his image. (laughs) And this is, and he had fellowship with man, and he said all is good. But man rebelled against God and rejected God. And for the, 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 the loss was experienced in, in um, having death permeate life. However, God didn't allow us to stay there. He came like one of us, took on human flesh, and he lived a life that was meant for these people in humanity. And uh, and he he lived it perfectly. So that when he came upon a woman at a well, whose life was a mess, she had five husbands, she had had five husbands. She was lonely, isolated from her own society. Our God, whose name is Jesus, sat next to her at a well. And he says, I have living water for you. This woman, a single mom, probably with kids, Today we'll be collecting food stamps, isolated from God, and now God comes and says, I have something for you, living water. Man who was greedy, he wanted to pursue all that life could give him, and so he sold his, his allegiance from being a patriotic Jew to becoming a, a member of the Roman government by becoming a tax collector. And so society hated him. He lived an isolated life. If the zealots caught him on the street and a crowd could be in the area, they would knife him in the back. This is the person that we might say doesn't represent our own patriotism, our own identity of who we are in life. But God was walking by that tree that day. He looked up in that tree. He said, Zacchaeus, come down. I'm going to spend the day at your house. And salvation came to the house. It was Zacchaeus. There was a woman who was caught in adultery. And the accusers, her accusers brought her before this God and said, she is guilty of adultery. And you know what the law States about that. And God says, of course I know what the law states about that. And so he kneels down beside the woman and he begins to write in the dirt. And as he writes in the dirt, he looks around and he says to the woman, where are your accusers? And he says, I do not condemn you. I love you. And I ask that you go and sin no more. There was a man who lived on the far side of the Sea of Galilee. He was tormented by demons. He was put there because society did not know what to do with this man. And so Jesus, our God, went to this man who was cutting himself and running around naked on the beaches. And he says, I can free you. And so our God visits this sinful man who we would institutionalize today and says, You are free. The people of Jesus' time rejected him and they put him to death. cast all their evil against him. And even in so doing that, this Jesus cries from the cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And even as these humans might die, so our God entered death and joined humanity in death. But death could not hold him. Hallelujah. And so our God comes back to life so that we, as humanity, could find life. There is not a place in all of creation, even the grave, where God's glory is not understood. There was another group that lived at the time of Jesus, and they were Pharisees. And they would say about these people of humanity that God did not like them, that God was not for them, that God was against them. God was for us, who we are the Pharisees. And so therefore, they never get to bring God into their lives. They continue to say that God is angry with you and you will never come to God. That's not what Jesus taught, is it? God loves his people. God is always available to humankind. And what we find in some places might look like a a gospel of rules that say God is angry with everybody all the time. We make the good news about our own rules and that God is always turning away from sinners rather than what we see in the New Testament and in the Gospels, in particular where God is pursuing people that are far from him. Maybe not that far at all. But we find God does not act like the Pharisee. That's why I put the chairs back. I didn't want that to be the image you see. We follow a Wesleyan heritage again. We see God at work in the world. We see sinners are not far from God. At least I don't. God wants them, and he operates by grace to bring them to himself. God pursues them, as David Dorsey would tell us. I remember David, you know, God is a pursuer of people. And our postures reflect not only Wesley, but our God Jesus. That we don't create a theological system to keep sinners away and keep God angry at sinners. Jesus told parables and stories to indicate that the kingdom of God is always near. Now, let me connect some thoughts for you. First, our perceptions help us to understand our realities. The way that we view and comprehend some things help us make sense of our world and our reality. Not only that, but... It helps us to realize what we are to be doing as the Church of Jesus Christ, and in your case, as Plymouth Meeting Church. And if you in Plymouth Meeting and me in School Haven have been raised and seated in the heavenly realms, then we are to be signposts pointing the way to Jesus. So here's the challenge. Are we sharing the gospel that Jesus reveals or are we getting in the way, like Pharisees? Theologian Leslie Newbegin says, I am suggesting that the only answer, the only interpretation of the gospel is a congregation of men and women who believe it and live by it. How we perceive the gospel and the church are going to reveal what we actually believe about them. As Paul was writing to the church in First Corinthians, he says something like this in chapter 9, verses 19 to 23. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone, to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew, to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law though I am not free from God's law, but under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak. To win the weak, I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means, I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. You see, That's what our good perspectives about the gospel do for us. They bring us into such close connection with Jesus that we will cross any boundary to get to people that need access to Jesus. The gospel, according to chairs, reflects God's beautiful good news that God is a pursuer of his people, that he loves us, came to earth for us, died for us, and was raised for us and ascended for us, and brought us, and raised us with him. And if we are bringing God's good news from up there, down here, then we are going to participate in sharing the beautiful gospel. And if we do this together, we will be a gospel-centered, gospel-shaped church.